welcome to another episode of Silk and Steel podcast. I'm your host Carl Za, and today is May twelfth, twenty nineteen. I have been inside the People's Republic of China for over one month now. There are a lot of travel impressions I like to share with people, and today to talk with me, we have a、uh, multiple returning guest. Uh, David Milia coming here all the way from Hello, Mengsi, Yunnan. How are you, David? I'm good. I'm good. It's been humid as hell here, but yeah, all things considered, pretty good. So, has the rain season started yet? Ah,、uh, the humidity has, but the rain really hasn't. Well, there's been a bit of rain, but ah,、uh, not not too much. Yet, and it hasn't started continually raining yet. Isn't like、um, traditionally the raining season starts with the end of a water festival? Yeah,、um, and there has been a bit more. Like you have to understand that when it's winter time, there's like almost no rain at all for that. You know, four months of the year.、Um, The the really the really hectic rainy season here, like it's it's been it's been way humid. That's one thing, but the really hectic rain really hasn't started yet. I guess a month later it'll just be raining continually for like months, but that that hasn't started yet. That's interesting because I have a、uh, uh, now I'm in、uh, my dad's hometown Hainan, Zhejiang, on the eastern Chinese、yeah. coast. Over here, they have what's called Maybe Jie. Literally,、uh, I don't know what is May. <laughs> it's all also some kind of rainy season. It's also supposed to start in May, but in on, on the Chinese、uh, lunar calendar. So it's actually a month later from now,、um, and it will just basically continuous rain nonstop. Yeah. So it looks like I, I saw a map. Of China,、uh, like a climate map,、um, it basically kind of shows the, the the Chinese climate divided by region, and it seems like much of southern China, basically south of Yangtze River, is、uh, in what's called the monsoon climate. So, yeah, so we are basically in the same experiencing the same kind of cycle here. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we're we're pretty far apart, maybe like what couple thousand kilometers, I think at least. Yeah, yeah,、um, like two, three thousand.、Um, this this part of Yunnan also has a lot of microclimates because it's so mountainous.、Um, so it's, it's a little bit a little bit in a sense like Papua New Guinea that you can go like twenty minutes this way or that way. And you've got like a completely different、uh, weather pattern going on. I mean, this even happens in. That's funny that you mentioned that. You mentioned Papua New Guinea because,、um, as I was visiting Yunnan, that's that's what really struck me.、Uh, because before I I came, this is my first time visiting Yunnan. By the way, the province of China、yeah. that's on its southwestern border near uh, uh, bordering Myanmar, Laos. Um, close to Thailand and also Vietnam. Yeah, close to. Yeah, and the、um, for the like a lot of Chinese people as well.、Uh, 
uh, their idea of Yunnan is just like this one place, right? <laughs> like really, like people don't have yeah. a concept of how big Yunnan is, and they just think, oh, like Yunnan is all together one place, like Dadi, Kunming, Lijiang, Xishuang, Banna, Mengzi. They're all kind of like this, uh, <laughs> this like one place lumped together. But only when you came to Yunnan, you realize yeah. uh, how different each part of Yunnan really is because uh, because of the you know the oh, deep yeah. mountain uh, valleys that's been cut through by some of the greatest rivers in in Asia, right? You you have the Yangtze, you have the Mekong, you have the Irrawaddy. It's like uh like just like you say, it's like Papua New Guinea. <laughs> it's there's like pockets of uh cultures right like that's can be very different from each other even though they're uh physically close uh, as seen like distance a crow fly but because there might be a deep mountain range separating them uh there's probably, there there might be like very little interaction between <laughs> between the two uh neighboring um you know, counties. Even half an hour away, um, say I'm here during the day, uh, my wife is at work at the college, which is half an hour away on top of a mountain, and we'll call each other and I'll say, oh, it's it's pissing down rain here. What's the weather like up there? And she'll say, oh, it's lovely. There's no rain at all. You know, it's really nice. And this is in um, the college is only a little way outside of Mangsha. It's like, maybe half an hour by bus not even it would it's half an hour it would be less if it wasn't on top of a mountain um yeah so even even such short distances not just climate but also culturally Yunnan is so different from place to place because of its unique geography because you know like you have these different pockets of different culture that looks like they're physically close but they're actually very far apart <laughs> because of the because of the physical features of the land that's separating them look at our trip to um Baoshan or to to Tengchong in Baoshan prefecture that um Mengxia is in Dehong which is Dian Jingpo autonomous prefecture and then you go to Baoshan, where you've got um, your main ethnic, so-called ethnic minority groups are the Lisu and the Hui people. And even though we weren't there for that long, I'm sure you saw a big difference just in the people oh, yeah. and the local culture. Yeah. Even, even though Teng Chong's only two hours away now. Yep. They're like totally different places, like almost not even in the same country, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's really surprising part. And, and you know, I even make the same mistake, because when you talk about Mengzi, Dai, and Jinpo Autonomous Prefecture uh, of Dehong, right, I, I always get it confused with Xishuangbanna, because Xishuangbanna is also famous for its Dai culture. And yeah. My somehow I thought, oh, Shishuang Banna and uh, Dehong must be next to each other, but it's not true. There's not, um, yeah, there's not not even like a direct road connecting these two. You have to go through Kunming <laughs> to, to in the, in the yeah. top provincial capital to get to the other place, and 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 also you keep on 
emphasizing, you know, the locals using the dai, the de hong dai script, right? And I, 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 at first yeah. it didn't click for me. I'm like, what do you mean de hong dai script? Like, what is the, wouldn't they just use dai script? And <clears throat> only after I come to de hong did I realize, oh, actually, uh, the de hong dai uh, are a little bit different from the dai uh a uh, 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 language spoken in Xishuang Banna. I mean, like uh, there's half a dozen Dai languages, yeah, and half a different script. Yeah, and it's also because like Xishuang Banna and uh, De Hong is actually separated by some big mountains, <laughs> and then and then the the local your 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 Dai friend, your local Dai Hong Dai friend. Uh, um, oh God, I'm gonna butcher his name. Yeah, Yang <laughs> Yang Yan. Yang Yan. Um, okay. um, let's, let's call him Yang Yan. She said it's okay. We call him Yang yeah. Yan. So Yang Yan said, um, yeah. told me that uh, you know the the Dai people in Shishong Banna is actually closer to people cross the border in Laos, uh, whereas the people yeah. in Dehong, the, the the Dai people in Dehong in Mangsi. And really, they're closer in culture to people in the Shan uh, state in Myanmar. Shan state, yeah. 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 Um, De Hong Dai people also sometimes get called Chinese Dai, which is, which is like, intri- I mean, like, there's a certain amount of um, um, both groups informing each other, like you know, the the Dai here and Han people have had relations for hundreds of years, mm. but it's like the people in Dehong get called Dehong Dai and not say the Dai people in Shishuang Bana, mm. which I, I've always found interesting. Um, and we we met we met some people from Shishuang Bana. Um, mm-hmm, during Water Festival, remember, and the, yes. the the clothing is like still die but very different, different to yes. uh Dehong Dai people's like holiday clothing um, yeah I, I we talk about this on our scooter ride through Mangsi that even in China right Shishuang Banna kind of um took the spotlight right because everybody yeah. When people talk about Yunnan, they think of Shishuang Banna. They think about the Dai culture of Shishuang Banna. But uh, whereas very few people uh, know about Dehong or, or Mangsi. I mean, I the first time I heard about Mangsi is through you. <laughs> yeah. I, I literally didn't know Mangsi existed before I know, have known you. Yeah, that was that was in um, two thousand end of two thousand seventeen when we started talking, yep. Yep. and um, you um, I think I posted some link to East is Red, and you said something about oh, like I love the the scene with the women coming down from the mountain and blah blah yes. blah, yes. and I, yes. I explained to you that's that's the first day of water festival here in Dehong. And you yes. said, you know, I've I've never had anyone who's been able to explain that scene to me in that in those terms. Yep. And you were quite surprised. And that's when we started talking about Derhong and Mangsha and so on and so forth. Like Yeah, I mean and uh, another surprising thing talking to Yang Yan is uh that a lot of the Dai culture associated uh, well, a lot of the culture associated with Dai people in China that 
people tend to group with Shisuang Banna actually originated in Dehong. <laughs> it's like a, yeah. it's like kind of a cultural appropriation that that you know like all the between the, different uh, dye groups. Yeah, 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 and and just because Shisuang Banna <laughs> got such a big name recognition in China, and, and one, one reason for that is because. Um, you know, part of, part of this because it's recent Chinese history. Uh, I, I we talk about this as well when we're doing our scooter ride. Uh, for example, during nineteen seventies, nineteen sixty and nineteen seventies, uh, during the Cultural Revolution, a lot of the Chinese youth uh, got to send down to the countryside. Um, some of them sent to the borderlands. Uh, you know, many of them got sent to Shisongbanna. One of them is my uncle <laughs> from my mother. Yeah, time. yeah. Uh, and you, you said about now, him, yeah. Yeah, basically, at the time, uh, you know, the the Chinese government realized, oh, we have a growing urban population, and we can't, um, we have problem trouble feeding them all. <laughs> and at the t- you know, yeah. at the time, cultural revolution is really chaotic. There wasn't too much industrial activity going on in the city, so. They decide the solution is sent to the other youth to the countryside where, where they were working the farms. And in the case of Shishong Banna, uh, they, uh, that's because that's one of the few places in China the climate is suitable for growing rubber. Um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because because people don't realize this, but rubber used to be a very important uh uh, commodity, um, almost a strategic commodity, because it's, it's used to make tires, and and yeah. before China had to import its rubbers from places like Malaysia, right? And 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 because uh, uh, you know, because after 1949, there was a virtual embargo on China. That that was when the it was still British British Malaya, right? And then and then all that yeah yeah Malaya was was uh, cut off from China and 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 the only place that had um, sizable rubber plantation at the time was on Hainan Island in China. So what they did yep. was that they they got these uh, local expert on raising rubber. They took some rubber tree seedlings. They took uh, so they found found out that in Shishuangbanna in Yunnan was has a suitable climate and soil. And they they started to make these massive rubber plantations over there, and to pro, to provide the labor, they sent all these uh, Chinese urban youth, including my uncle, down there to to work the land. Um, and and yeah. and in the nineteen eighties, uh, after Cultural Revolution was over in seventy eight eighties, when the you know the Chinese government finally reversed that policy and allowed the educated youth to return to the cities to return yeah um so all these chinese youth from like uh from inner provinces right they you know like my uncle from Chongqing, they come back and they carry with them the stories of, of all these far <laughs> off land like so so that's how shishuang Na became known because all these chinese educated youth got sent there to work their rubber plantations and and they come back and tell the yeah. wondrous stories of of this magical land, magical land of Shishuangbanna right <laughs> and um and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's how it got popularized 
in uh, like the Chinese popular imagination. And a lot of educated youth were also sent to Derhong to places like Roy Lee. Um, but as, as you say, like the rubber, the rubber plantations were in uh, Shishuangbana. So Shishuangbana became a lot more prominent because uh, rubber was, yes. as you say, so important. Yeah. So yeah, and the, the funny thing is, I told told the story to Yang Yi, uh, your local Dai friend in Dehong. He he actually told me that um, uh, he corrected me that the first one to plant uh, rubber in Yunnan was Dehong Dai people, uh, and and oh, I, wow, okay. I actually got a book on the brief history of Dehong before yeah. I left, and, and at, at the at the Jade Market. He checks out. The story is legit. There was a there was a die. Um, this was like around the end of the last Chinese imperial dynasty, the Qin dynasty, and the beginning of the Republican era. And when a lot of the borderlands are still ruled by kind of local chieftains, what uh, what's called two. The the Dai Tusa here. Yeah, yeah. One of the lo- the De Hong Dai Tusa, he was uh, uh, like a fairly progressive person. Right? He he was seeking to modernize uh, or bring modernization to his people. And one of the things he did was traveling abroad. He went to places like British Malaya to Singapore, and he brought back the first rubber uh, tree seedlings, and he planted them in De Hong. But oh wow, okay, yeah. So 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 that was actually the first um, attempt to to start rubber plantation in Yunnan. But for some reason, the 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 scale of rubber plantation just got a lot bigger in uh, or a lot at least a lot more well known in Shishuangbana. <laughs> I, I just I don't I just don't know exactly why Shishuangbana gets all the glory, right? And then you know, so that's. What the Chinese, the the most of the Han Chinese tourists would know about Yunnan, they would know Xishuangbanna. They they don't know Dehong or they don't know Mangsi. Um, and and uh, your friend Yang Yi also told me that another reason for that is uh, because in the eighties, uh, because Ray Li is on the on the border with Myanmar, right? And and Ray Li is part of the yes. Dehong prefecture. The other the the one of the other two big cities um and 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 the, the yeah. Dehong government local government was very focused on the um, cross-border trade with myanmar uh, so, but yeah yeah um th- there's a lot of there's a lot of monuments and stuff here um like tree you know like this happened back in the 50s and stuff that um the chinese government started to um make a lot of moves towards more friendly and productive relations with Myanmar. And, you know, you say you go to Roy Lee or you go to Wanding, um, or even here, there's all these monuments attesting to this thing that started in the 50s with um, the Chinese government. Because, you know, as, as you know, from the time of Qianlong, um Relations between China and Myanmar were tense. not good, like tense. really not good. <laughs> yeah. It was actually a war fought between the Qin dynasty yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and Myanmar. Actually, civil civil wars. Uh, I actually got I got yeah. the book on it. Yeah. I got the book on the Qianlong Expedition 
uh, against yeah, Myanmar me too, yeah. <laughs> in Chinese, yeah, uh, the, printed by the Dohong, at, at, uh local publishing house. Oh, wow. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I got one um, that Qianlong uh, basically wanted the jade. And he was like, oh, it's in this place called Nantian, you know, this this barbarian kingdom across the border where they eat horrible food and they're just not civilised and blah, blah, blah. And he sent, like, this fantastic military expedition to Nantian, uh, you know, which is still basically the name of Myanmar in Chinese. And they ended up getting really badly spanked. Like, the, this military expedition was, like, destroyed to a man, pretty much. <laughs> Chen Long had to, had to give up on that idea yeah, for a I while. Mean, there were several uh, military expe- expeditions during Chen Long's time. And I, when I was reading into that history, that's when I realized, like, um, you know, at the time, the frontier was really fluid, <laughs> let's say, dynamic. Um, yeah. Because a lot yeah. of the things were not demarcated. You know, it's not like today there's a there's a definite demarcated border, right? On this side is China. On that side is Myanmar. Uh, back in those days, the, a lot of the border zone are these like local autonomous, semi-autonomous um die principalities and they will they yeah, will yeah, yeah. pledge uh, their fealty or allegiance to you know to the stronger power whoever that might be at the moment right yep. the, the, you know because and the, yep. the, the the Myanmar uh around the time of um 17th and 18th century the, it really it became like a very um expansionistic and 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 a military power in the region uh you know oh yeah yeah um like the kingdom of arakan got taken over by the kingdom of myanmar only 10 years before the british took over myanmar so this was going on until what like the 19th century 18th century, 19th yeah, century. Yeah, and, and Myanmar, will, will, the, the, <laughs> and the kingdom of Myanmar also had many, many expeditions into what is now Northeast India, the, the, the region of Assam uh, and uh, Manipur. Yeah. Um, I mean, all these areas also populated by, uh, you know, now it's part of India, but back then, those all those other regions, Manipur and Assam, they're all populated by like Thai uh, dominated principalities and and uh, and yeah. you know that so so the Myanmar is trying to militarily dominate all these regions uh, including the Thai areas in Yunnan right that that traditionally pledged their fealty yeah. to the to the Chinese imperial court and, and that's where the conflict comes yeah, it's yeah so that's where the conflict uh, comes in and and also whereas you know from the Chinese perspective, uh, the border was always a little bit fuzzy because you know they're not they're the one um, they're parts that clearly has been you know uh, pledging their uh, loyalty to China for a long time like Xishuang Bana like uh, like uh, De Hong but then there are other parts. Uh, that's kind of in the middle. <laughs> it's like a lot more ambiguous because those, those, like a lot of the, 
die principality in the in the Shan state. Uh, they they would sometimes pledge loyalty to to Myanmar, sometimes to, to China, yeah. <laughs> and uh, for, for for from the Chinese perspective, oh, that's all Chinese. But on the ground, is a lot different. And and you know the the, the reality was yeah. Myanmar at the time was a rising military power, and 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 um you know like the channel was very um you know he was full of himself because he feel like well i'm a i'm the sovereign of a very strong empire um but he didn't doesn't realize yeah. that um you know mili- that does not tra- necessarily translate into military dominance on the ground because um the local Everywhere, yeah, because local yeah. troops from Yunnan just weren't up to the task, just weren't up to the par. They, they, they had a lot of numbers, but often the problem is the supply because, the, you know, as you would know, the, the, the transportation would, has always been difficult in Yunnan until very recent times. Oh, yeah. You have to climb many mountains, mountain uh, ridges, many rivers, uh, you know, from traveling to Mengzi to Kunming used to take what, like, many, like, how many hours of bus ride? Uh, like fourteen. Uh the bus ride until until two thousand and sixteen, two thousand and seventeen. It was twelve, thirteen hour bus ride. Now it's only an yeah. eight hour bus ride, and that's. And that's with all those ridiculous tunnels going through the mountains and stuff. Like, yeah, we went through. I, a few I of took those that bus ride on my way to Kunming <laughs> because I thought I wanted to yeah. experience an overnight bus ride on a little sleeper bus. On the hindsight, that might not be the best choice because the bed. Uh, I shot a video of it and posted on Twitter. the The sleeper bus in in uh, Yunnan is not the same as those sleeper train because the bed is just half as narrow. <laughs> and, and so I can barely, yeah, it's... Uh, I'm, 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 uh, I'm 180 uh, centimeters and uh, about 85 kilo. And for me, it's just a very narrow yeah. squeeze, right? And like <laughs> into that space, uh, any, anyone who's, who's slightly yeah. bigger than me is going to have trouble. And, I I I did that for thirteen hours, and I'm taller and heavier than oh, you yeah. are. It was like sleeping on a park bench. Yeah, <laughs> basically. I mean, I've I've slept on park benches before when I was younger and drunker, but you know, nothing, nothing yeah, like not, that. Not like on a rattling bus on a thirteen, 12, fourteen hour ride. Um. Uh, so anyway, so the the problem with the channel is expected expedition yeah. in in Myanmar um is like a lot of time the military campaign is about logistics um and the logistics to uh, to have yeah. expedition to Myanmar is is very demanding i mean to to send supplies and grains um and troops to over that long distance over many mountains and rivers uh, I mean, Chen Nong seriously underestimate that task. And, and literally, one of the expedition he sent to Myanmar like ran out of s- supplies. <laughs> they, they actually struck deep inside Myanmar territory. They were close to, um, at the time, the Myanmar capital. 
what it would be now Mandalay. Uh, then they ran out of food. <laughs> and then and then it was a long slog back and and the the the, the Burmese uh, quickly followed because they sensed weakness and 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 eventually they caught up the retreating force and then wiped it out completely it, it became a, a such a disaster because of it um so, so yeah. and and re- reading about what Chen Long actually took to Myanmar it was a lot of crazy stuff like cannoneers, um, musket, uh, mus- uh, musketeers, like all these big, heavy, cumbersome, like siege pieces and shit like that for what a lot of the times would have been jungle warfare, yeah. you know? And just, just reading the equipment list, I was going, oh, even before I heard the end game, I thought, oh, wow, those guys were fucks, like right before they started. And they're going to go do jungle warfare as if that they're was a like problem in, the, in those days before the you know the before the internet age, right? It's it's really hard to get the facts on the ground to the, yeah. to the commander. In this case, the armchair general Chen Long, right? He's literally thousands and thousands of miles yeah. away or kilometers away in Beijing, and he was. Uh, and, and Chen Long was such a micromanager. Like I would not want to Chen Long to be my boss. I mean, he was such a micromanager. He 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 would lay out all the details <laughs> of the plan, but you know the, those plans change as soon as he hits. You know, it, <laughs> as soon as you, you it hits reality, because uh, Myanmar is just a different place from what he envisioned. But but one of the reasons he did brought the yeah. cannoneers and big cannons is because uh, on one of the first uh, initial expedition into Myanmar, they couldn't take this uh, very strategic um, fortress that that the Myanmar built on the junction of a uh, I think it was Salween River, and and they uh, yeah. like the they the the Myanmar they build up uh, uh the Burmese built like this very sophisticated wooden barricade uh they, the the Qing army couldn't get through so so they thought oh if only we had cannons right we can smash through with wooden pieces oh, um, okay but uh you know then then by the time they brought the cannons finally brought over there they they realized they, they still had problems destroying those wooden wooden uh, uh, barricades because some of their cannons would overshot and uh, they had they just had all they ran into all sort of issues i mean like channel had to execute so many of his uh, commanding generals on the myanmar expedition it wasn't even funny um uh, but it, yeah. Uh, well, anyway, that enough story, about yeah. Channel's ex- expedition. It was this. This this episode is yeah. not about him. Uh, I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> we'll have to do another episode on that. Uh, but but uh, he, yeah, yeah, he would he would yes, be happy. But, but the in the Gone. in in this days so though, in, in, in I mean, infrastructure wise, it really has improved a lot, and and you really improve a lot in the very recent years because in our drive to the Myanmar border in Rayleigh, we saw all these pile concrete pylons being built in the mountains and the tunnels being dug for the new uh, high speed rail. Right. Um. Well, basically, they're doing um 
they're extending the high-speed rail right out to the edge of China, which is <coughs> Roy Lee. And the Dehong Airport is in Mengxia. It would make more sense, actually, to have it in Roy Lee, but the Chinese government goes, well, right across the border, there's war, there's civil unrest, there's all this stuff going on. It's a bit safer to have our air airline, our airport, in Mengxia, which is a few hours away from the border. And then we can simply... Because uh, several years ago, there was a case where um, the, uh, the Myanmar Air Force in, uh, in, <laughs> in one of its expedition against the local uh, ethnic militias in northern Myanmar, they threw a bomb accidentally into the Chinese side of the border. And that, that... As recently as a month ago, there was fighting between the Tatmadaw and I think it was the, the Kachin Independence Army in, um, whatchamacallit, you know, you know how Roy Lee is halfway across the border and the other half of the, um, the city is in Myanmar. There was actually fighting between the Tatmadaw yeah. and the KIA um, like right outside that city that is bisected by the Chinese border. So, yeah, yeah, it's, oh, wow. it was that close. Like um, pretty much when we were there, there was fighting like just outside of uh, Roy Lee between, between the Myanmar army and um, between the KIA. Yeah, totally. Damn. So I think, I think it's a good idea. Oh, by the way, I the KIA probably should think of a better acronym. Yeah, killed in action. Yeah, very good. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I mean, but but it it infrastructure wise, that's one thing I'm like really impressed on my uh, this last visit to China because you know I always hear about. Uh, read in the news report about all these infrastructure China is building, but when you are actually yeah. here, you see it, yeah, being built out, and you see like compare, especially compare um to the knowledge you have about what what it was in the past. You know, it's very impressive because um I my my um my parents right my both my dad and my mom they were posted to calm uh, which is like this tibetan region uh in western sichuan that that's culturally tibet on the tibetan plateau but um for various historical reasons it was made part of sichuan province since uh basically the qing dynasty and and when my um it has a very it has kind of a similar geography to some parts of Yunnan because you know it has this deep deep mountain gorges cut by river to, uh, rushing out of the the ravine and then you have all these hair raising uh roads that make these hair raising turns in those uh basically on the side of the cliffs right and then uh i remember when i was 3 years old I went with my grandma. We took a bus to see my parents. 
And when the bus stopped on the side of the road, you know, I, I was just, uh, I was a, a curious child. So I, I climbed over to the side of the bus to pick oh some flower. And, and just, as soon as I reached out to grab the flower, I realized like half of my body is hanging off the cliff. <laughs> and, and on the cliff below, I can, like, it's really far way down. And, and I can see like, Deep down, there's a river flowing, and you can also see like the carcasses of the cars and <laughs> trucks, the ricks of cars and trucks that had previously fallen over. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a very stunning uh, landscape, but it's it can be also very scary. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 that's like what Yunnan was like yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Uh, until very very. It still recently. is um, and, a lot of places. Um... Like that's that's what that's what my my trip from here to Kunming was like in the middle of 2012. That you know, there's all these like basically what amount to dirt roads, and you look over the side, and it's maybe 500 a thousand meters down, and every so often you see like wrecks of cars, wrecks of trucks, wrecks of buses, <laughs> and it's really dark. Yeah, I mean. That- I mean, that's what's so impressed about uh, what really impressed me about my China trip this time, because I my last trip was 2010. Yeah. Wow. Right? And it's, it's now it's what, nine years. And I or I every time I come back and just see such a huge improvement. And what, the thing you talk about the bus to Kunming, right? I, I took that overnight bus to Kunming this time um, and it was pretty smooth ride. Like, uh the road were paved. Yeah. There were many tunnels, so so it doesn't do all those crazy, uh, <laughs> crazy turn around the cliff yeah. anymore. Yeah, it, it just goes through straight yeah. through the mountains, yeah. and, and and even on our travel to the border in Rayleigh, we saw we saw that too. Like there's these like four kilometer, uh, five kilometer, nearly five kilometer yep. tunnels, five kilometers into the mountains, and they're. And, and there are like many of those tunnels, and the road were beautiful. Yeah. The road were nicely paved. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and this is like, this is like really far off corner of China. Right? It's, like, it's uh, the edge. Um, it's no yeah. more. There's no yeah. more China beyond. Like on the you know like. <laughs> yeah, because when we went to Ray Lee. Uh, right on the border wall between Myanmar and uh, China, there was a stone that says, uh, I think, literally, it means the, the, the edge of sky and earth, right? <laughs> which, which in Chinese term means, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> yeah. This is uh, the end of the Chinese territory. Yeah. This is you, you fall off the edge from here. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's little kids throwing water balloons over the wall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All those Myanmar kids—they're just like casually sitting on the border fence with like, 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 like with barbed wires, and they're just casually straddling the, the wall and chucking water balloons on the Chinese yeah, yeah. side, including the Chinese cops. Yeah, they were getting <laughs> water bombed as well. That was pretty funny. Yeah, I'm, well, that was uh, on that day that it was still a water festival in Myanmar, yeah. right? And um, we also saw these uh, these like these kids were just 
getting everybody like like we got trapped i mean i got trapped inside the hair salon in Ray Lee because because those girls were <laughs> they had a big bucket of water out yeah. front and they were just spraying everyone yeah. and and i i i'm like okay they're, they're probably not going to spray inside the store because yeah. the store owner will get mad at them so i I hide out there for a while and had to wait until they went off against some other target that yeah. bashed out so not to get wet. Um, uh, it, it, it was it was fun. And then, then we also saw like a, a group of young Chinese police walking by and we were speculating whether they will get wet. And they got wet. <laughs> and then, and then, yeah, and then some little kids got them. And and like and they, they were just they, and they just laugh it off yeah, yeah. and they were like ah oh, you know you like it's not what you expect was, when you see cops getting I was <laughs> I was I was thinking you know with the kids on top of the border wall throwing water and begging for money and all that kind of thing I I couldn't help but think for a second what what would be the reaction if it was little Mexican kids doing the same thing at the US at the US Mexico oh, border. Like I don't even want to think, you know, what would happen if that was the oh, God. Yeah, totally. Like Yeah. Yeah. And and, and another thing is uh, what we saw was uh, it was pretty relaxed at the border. Yeah. I mean the the there was a long line of people from Myanmar to come into China. Oh yeah. But um and the, then on the on the exit side, they actually have a self checkout. <laughs> they have a self checkout checkpoint to allow all these people from Myanmar to return. I mean, it's like uh, it's like it's they're not they're not too concerned. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, just check yourself out. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> we we don't we don't need. We don't. Yeah. We don't care what you might be taking away from China. Just what you bring into China, or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which you know, in some cases, uh, they're they're just guarding against like drug smuggling. Yeah. Right? yeah because yeah. we we actually saw. Uh, I mean, it's my first time seeing like Chinese military attack helicopters patrolling oh, <laughs> yeah. the border <laughs> on, on the way to Roy Lee. Yeah. We got buzzed, yeah. I'm mostly from you. I think that things had got a lot better in the recent years. In Relay, a lot calmer. Well, um, yeah. Well, on the, on Rilei. the Relay side of the border, certainly, um, because you, you know I used to teach at Derhong Teachers College, which has students from all over Yunnan, and I had I had quite a few students from Relay, and they used to tell me, and, and you know they they're like well, relatively innocent, as, like, young Chinese students tend to be. And they were telling me, yeah, yeah, back in the day, like, um, drug selling and drug consumption was, like, pretty out in the open, that, yeah, you know, you would you would have cafes, which were basically, you know, like uh, foreigner bait, that people would go there and just sit around smoking up and, like, no one, no one gave a shit, basically. And even, you know... Um, like yaba selling um selling uh opiates like heroin all this kind it was all it was all much more out in the open and now if you if you go to the right neighborhoods in roy lee there's still like wall graffiti to the effect of buying buying heroin buying guns buying tracking device like all this contraband 
but it's it's been pushed like mm-hmm. way 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 underground um yeah a lot of the gambling like the gambling has gone over to the Myanmar side of the border a lot of people who cross the border are basically they're not going into Myanmar they're just going across the border to get their gamble on at nighttime and even from Roy Lee, you see you see fireworks going off on the on the Myanmar side of the border. And I asked um, yeah. I asked my friend, well, what, what are all these fireworks going off? And they're like, oh well, the gambling stalls on the Myanmar side of the border. When someone wins, they set off some fireworks to advertise their good luck, you know, and to kind of yeah, an- wow. another winner, another winner, and, and this encourages people to keep going. Because there's like a um, an apparent an apparent representation of their gambling success at this particular uh, gambling stall on the Myanmar. Side. It's like an advertisement. Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> it's like it's advertisement. Another another winner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, but like, and there's a lot more. Like the jade trade. Is is still um, basically, you know, it's it's legal in China, even even when you think about how the jade was mined, or all, all the stuff in Myanmar. Once it once it crosses the border into China, it becomes a legitimate commodity, at least from the viewpoint of Chinese law, and that's um jade jade is still a big thing, even even through. I think you know the jade market has been down of recent years but the jade is still a multi-billion dollar per year um commodity and a lot of that oh yeah i mean i mean because it's like culturally significant and i remember jim rogers uh a u.s investor like many many years ago i think back in 80s or 90s when he went through china he said you know like chinese people value jade so um it's good to invest in some jade because when the chinese get wealthy the price of jade is going to go up (laughs) yeah yeah we we talked about that before yeah yeah he was absolutely right and and the um and 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 you know there's just so much demand and i think like the slowing down in the jade market might actually be related to um, kind of relative slowing down in the in the Chinese economy. Yeah, exactly. Recently, yeah. I don't know. You think? That? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah. there's a lot. Um, this is something I wanted to talk about, like where where Chinese spending is going now. Chinese governmental spending overall is down. However, during the previous era a lot of government money was getting thrown around on all kinds of things, like. Now, um, infrastructure building and um, education, these are areas where governmental spending has not diminished. In fact, it might even be on the ups, you know. Um, they're still building um, a lot, you know, like a lot, of, a lot of new schools. This is what I see here and, I, and you know, other places nearby, and I kind of have to consider this as being a a subset of China. Like if it's happening here, it's other it's happening other places in China for sure. Oh yeah, definitely. I, I can confirm that because now I'm on the other side of China. And one of the things I have seen in Mangsi, particularly remember when we um drove that to that new socialist village, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Uh 
Um, so I see the same kind of investment in rural villages in in uh, eastern China as well, in, in Zhejiang. So now I'm in my dad's hometown, Hailin, Zhejiang, which is a which used to be a small town outside of Hangzhou, yeah. between Hangzhou and Shanghai. Uh, but now it's really a medium-sized city and it's yeah. really expanding very fast into the surrounding yeah. countryside. I, I, and I, I... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I, I have a friend here. He actually came through Mengxia in the late 90s. And he said, Mengxia as a city... Yeah, not really. Like there was a lot of villages and towns that were sort of tenuously connected by roads that weren't very good at that point, blah, blah, blah. Basically, the Mengxia Valley was a, a loose collection of villages and towns and farming communities. But now it really is like a big, well, it's not a big city. It's only what, like 400,000 people, official people, if that. But it is a city. It's not a big city by Chinese standard. Yeah. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Yeah. In other places, it's a fairly fair well, sized city. You saw the panorama of Mengxia from the Golden Temple that it's it's basically yes. filled up most of the valley now. Um I was surprised on my plane ride to Mengxia. Yeah. Um, because before from your description, I always picture it to like to be like kind of this sleepy little town, right? In well, the near the edge of the jungle. And then I look out the plane, I'm like, oh my goodness, what is this? <laughs> this is like, this is, I see like high rise apartment buildings, okay. like uh, occupying like most of the valley. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of those high rises are very recent though. A lot of that stuff was not here when I came at the end of 2011. And there's, there's more and more of that stuff. I'm like the peacock, the Peacock Lake development, um, which we saw a little bit of, that that was only finalised in 2016. Some of my colleagues were talking about they were going to get houses or apartments out there, and a, a lot of wait, is that the is that the abandoned uh, real estate uh, amusement park? No, 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 something else. No Peacock Peacock Lake. So say, you know, the direction we came to go to the Golden Temple, if you keep going in that yeah. direction, it's Peacock Lake. Peacock Lake is on the other side of Golden Temple and that's that, that real estate development out there is the Peacock Lake real estate development. Oh, it's over the hill. Yeah, yeah, it's over the hill, exactly. Um, but that's that's just one of oh. many, you know. It's one of many. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, like what your description of Mengsu in the 90s <sighs> and its development since, it's there's a very striking parallel oh, yeah. here in eastern China. Yeah. My, my dad's hometown, Hailin, when I left, was basically a, a larger town in a small, like a small series of smaller towns that was interconnected, interpersed with a bunch of other villages. I mean, it wasn't really a city, like the... I remember my cousin pointing out to me like the first uh like over three, four story tall building in town, right? Like that was in nineteen ninety. And when I returned in twenty let's see, when I when I returned in two thousand oh one, uh my first reaction was like, Oh, 
wait a minute, this is not a small town anymore. This is like yeah. getting taking shape of a city. And then, um, and then my subsequent return in 2010, that's when I was like, whoa, what is that giant, uh, what is a giant auditorium they're building in the, in the middle of the city there? Oh, they told me it's a, it's a new gymnasium. I'm like, wait, why does Heidi need a big gymnasium, right? And then, yeah. um, I, 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 but then I, I, I woke up from my hotel. I walk into the street. I was like, what is this? This is the city. Where did all these people come from? <laughs> and, and, and today in 2019, I don't even have that question anymore. I mean, it is a city. You just like, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't, even, I don't even, not even surprised it's a city. It, it, it just is. And yeah, it's yeah. a pretty well built out by now you've, you've had two and, decades um, to come to terms with that process yeah 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 and 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 a lot of the thing that you saw we saw in Mangsi villages in surrounding villages in Mangsi is happening in the uh here as well because yeah. there, there's two processes going on one process is a city of Hainin and I'm guessing Mangsi as well itself is expanding, swallowing up surrounding villages. Yeah. Um, but the, on the other side, there's government investment into rural villages. I mean, that's very apparent to me. Um, and, uh, uh, especially the... now, I mean, because I see like just like beautiful new roads. Um, like they, they even have a, a specially newly built bike lane in the countryside. Yeah. Because I guess the local government is trying to promote eco tourism. And also so scooters they, they... are so um scooters are so prevalent as well. And it's better to drive yes. a scooter in the bike lane rather than on the road with the trucks. Yes. yes, that's actually like in in uh, in in Hainin City, right? They have they have those bike lanes everywhere right but yeah. mostly it's taken by the scooter traffic and that's another thing i noticed in my travel in china is that electric scooter is uh ubiquitous it's everywhere yeah. <laughs> it's i mean i seen it in Mangsi firsthand and then i didn't see it so much in Chongqing. i i don't i maybe it was banned there i don't know i i never i didn't see much <laughs> of scooters in Chongqing, but but in Mangsi, that's when i first started noticing um, and then I saw in my next stop was uh, Kunming, right? Yep, scooters in Kunming. Yep. And then uh, my train took me to, uh, I took a two-night train to, two-day, two two-night train to Yangzhou in, in eastern China. There too, scooters everywhere. And now I'm in my dad's hometown in Hainin, halfway between Hangzhou and Shanghai. It's just like scooter is just one of the main way for people to get around. You know, if you yeah. don't take the bus or if you don't drive a car, you you have a scooter. Like my my seventy eight year old uncle, he, yeah. he's still working, right? He's still he's still working as a as a traditional Chinese uh a a medicine practitioner, uh -huh. and he goes to work every day riding his electric scooter. <laughs> And well, I, I'm actually very impressed. I'm like, wow, you're still riding scooters at 78? He's like, uh, I, I'm still limber. <laughs> I, I still can, but, so I'd like to take advantage of that. Yeah. 
Yeah, but but there kind of there's all, already some kind of regulation on that. Uh, according to my auntie and uncle, I think there's a rule. They're gonna putting a place in a rule that uh, in a couple years they're gonna phase out a more powerful scooters. Like they're gonna limit the only only the scooters you can uh, electric scooters you can have on the road is uh if it has to go you you can you can only it cannot exceeds twenty miles per hour. What's that in kilometers? So, uh, 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 well, mine so one one kilometer is like uh, is one, uh, one mile is one point six kilometers. So twenty six twenty twenty mile is like uh, 30, 32, 32 kilometers per hour. Well, mine mine um stops getting any more rev at fifty kilometers an hour. I've I've tested this. Yeah, I don't think I don't think you have to worry about it for a while because you are in Mengsi. Hainan <laughs> is not close to Hangzhou yeah, <laughs> and yeah, Shanghai, yeah. so they adopt those rules a lot quicker. Yeah, but it's like that concludes part one of our interview with David Milia talking about our travel together in the southwestern Chinese province of Yunnan. Stay tuned. We're going to have part two of the interview next week. Meanwhile, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Facebook, or Instagram to follow my travels in China. My Twitter handle is Carl Za, just my name. Carl is spelled with a C, C-A-R-L, and my last name Z-H-A. That's Zebra Henry Apple. Uh, you can find me also on Facebook, again, Carl Za, or Instagram. My Instagram handle is Shaka Za, Shaka like Shaka Zulu, and Za like my last name, Zebra Henry Apple. Thank you again for listening. Uh, see you next time. Oh, ne, anya tizi, ma.